Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I am the terror who flaps in the night. I am the 40K player who haunts the middle tables. I am your host, Dave Colmel. As always, I am joined today by the founder of Vanguard Tactics, my good friend and 40K mentor, the Batman to my Darkwing Duck, Mr. Steven Box. Steve, how's it going? Oh God! <laughs> I just like that you're haunting the mid tables. Well, you know, I, I thought that line was brilliant. That got thank me. you very much. Yeah, I just saw the look on your face, and I'm like, either I've taken it too far, finally, or I really just made him laugh. I'm not sure which. I, I don't know. You're gonna have to go a bit further than that to take it too far. That's fine. Okay. How you doing, Dave? You're right. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I had a I had a really good uh, time at the. Um, tournament last weekend uh didn't i was definitely haunting the middle tables by the end of it all but you know it was uh for not having had any practice games with that list or with my codex prior to i you know i was comfortable with how i did and came away with some good changes to my list but uh yeah how about you yeah doing all right busy week this week very busy week lots of filming for the academy um i sprained my knee playing volleyball uh did i tell you this no i knew that you were going to play volleyball after we recorded last week but uh, yeah, so basically played an away game um, and flew like Dante and then landed like something that clearly can't land. And uh, yeah, my, my foot went one <laughs> like way. Orc? Yeah, my foot went one way and uh, my knee went the other. So basically careened into the floor. Um, Ow. Rolled a six, exploded, then rolled a one to get out. It wasn't great. Uh, so yeah, now I can't walk very well. So just hobbling along. Ow. So everything's taking like 50% longer. That sucks. I, I know exactly how that goes since I, I blew my knee out when I was halfway through basic training in the army. Yeah. And that, those knee injuries suck. Yeah, they do. But, uh, but we're not here to talk about sports injuries. We are here to talk about 40K. So um, this week um, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to get away from reviewing rule books and talk about the practicalities of what's on the table at tournaments right now. The last four or five weeks, obviously, I've seen a ton of tournaments from three-game RTTs to nine-game majors all around the planet. And with a few notable exceptions, at most of those tournaments, it seems like the top anywhere from five to ten placed lists are all either custodies or Tau. So I want to see about, we want to talk about uh, the, what that meta is, what it looks like, strengths, weaknesses, etc. Um, but before we get into that, of course, we got to do our sponsor acknowledgments. Yeah, so massive thank you to Siege Studios for continually helping us out here at, obviously, Vanguard Tactics. And Siege Studios do a wonderful job when it comes to all things painting, commissions, lessons, tutorials, workshops, you name it. Check out siegestudios.co.uk for all things painting. Yeah, thank you very much. Awesome. And uh, everybody, please uh, like, share, subscribe. Uh, give us those five-star reviews. Uh, you know, let us know you, you, uh, you know, let let the uh, search engine optimization know how much you like our uh, our efforts here. I've gotten some nice messages from people uh, just messaging me on social media, and uh, I know Steve's got some nice reviews the last couple of weeks. So uh, love it. We want to keep bringing it to you uh, in the same quality every week with my same ridiculous intros and Steve's outstanding uh, insight into the game. So uh, you know, please let us know and and uh, give us those those reviews and those uh, pass the word along so that everybody else can can get the good information we're providing here. Maybe we can share some maybe we'll do like a little we'll pick one and share it on the show oh dear god good or bad good or bad well, that now now you've really opened the floodgates <laughs> look we got we got to talk about both 
Um, so yeah, yeah, all reviews are great reviews. That's true. If it's constructive criticism, I'm I'm all I'm all for it. Yeah, and if you want to troll us and take your time, you've clearly got nothing bad to do. So that's also funny to laugh at. That's also true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just our responses will be very funny. Uh, so um, all right, but back to the uh, the subject of today. Uh, not everybody wants to or even has the money to jump ship from their favorite faction to their to the current hotness. So. Um, I think it's worthwhile for us to talk about what aspects of these two factions, the Custodes and Tau, what's giving them an edge right now? What weaknesses do they have that other factions can exploit um, so that they can balance the scales? I think that's great. I think it's been a great show. And I think it's a really topical topic. Um, One in which, obviously, at Vanguard Tactics, we want to help you get the most from your army. Our whole mission statement is to help you play anytime, anywhere, against anyone okay so that doesn't mean just i'll run this list or take that or whatever we've got a couple of lists today we will review is a bit of a they have done well um and i'll give you my insights as to how i would play against these armies knowing how they're going to play typically um and obviously we're going to use these as an archetype and obviously each of the generals that would have run these armies no doubt would have been exceptional players and probably would have had their own unique spin on things which is awesome but we can use it more as concepts okay if we look in because that's going to help everybody is concepts methodologies about how we can tackle some of these top tier armies yeah, we don't want to, you know, pick anybody, any particular player out because obviously, no matter how good your list is, it also comes down to the skill of the pilot as well. But, uh, but every list, you know, every faction has their their unique um, details and eccentricities, and we certainly want to look at what are those things when they're when especially when a codex is new on the list. You know, sometimes people talk about, oh, there's power creep, and yeah, there, you know, sometimes a codex will come out and some aspect of it will be broken, some aspect of it will will be unexpected. But eventually, whether GW does an FAQ or, you know, comes swinging with the nerf bat or whatever it is, even without that, people will adjust. People will figure out what those the, what those um, what the weaknesses are, what the strengths are that they can avoid. And that's what we wanted to talk about today. So um, you want to do custodies first? Yeah, I mean, just to further more from your point, really, um, it's just a new problem. A lot of the time, new codexes, are just a new problem. You know, Games Workshop, and I can tell you this now, do not just think, right, we got a new codex coming out. Let's make it more powerful than the last one and sell more models. No, they don't do that. Because if they would have done that, then we would have saw Black Templars being better than, um, you know, Admech. And we would have seen, you know, Sisters of the Battle being better than Drakari and all these other things that have happened. No, they haven't done that. Grey Knights came out. They're okay. You know, they had a bit of a, you know, nice little list that came out. You know, Thousand Suns. They're all right, but, you know, not crazy. Sisters of Battle didn't come out and just all of a sudden beat every single Admech player that was out there because that was the Codex before. It doesn't work like that, you know? So, yeah, it's just a new problem. We will figure out how to solve those problems, and that's all we can do. And then, yeah, if Games Workshop feel like, okay, maybe that one's a little bit too easy to, you know, win with, we'll just help that just come down a little bit and give a challenge back to those players that play those factions in a little bit more instances than maybe some others. So, yeah, that's all, in which is why it's fantastic Games Workshop have committed to doing those three monthly balance updates. Even before um, Custodes and uh, Tau came out, we were starting to see less Drakari on the table, and it's not like Drakari suddenly got less good. There wasn't, the the last balance data slate didn't suddenly take away all that was making Drakari good and powerful from the beginning, but people have started to figure out 
that combination, they've started to figure out what to do to deal with Drakari. And it's just a matter of time with doing that with now with Custodes and Tau. Although as a Tau player, you know, you guys can take a little longer. Feel free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Drakari had the the touch of the uh, the most recent balance update, the removal of this kind of thick city, um, as it were, where you just, everything was minus one damage. Um, and I think the rule that they brought in was really eloquently done. It just gave back a little bit play to power fists, plasma weapons, strength eight weapons that, can, you know, the rule still works, but it just means that some of the arsenal and some people's armies aren't just completely nullified. And it gives those armies that do rely on power fists and plasma weapons a little bit more play. So I think overall, Drakari sit in a really nice place at the moment. They're still a very strong army. Incubi, fantastic, super fast, advancing charge, you name it. They've got all the tools in the toolbox. Um, obviously now with uh, Harlequins and Eldar coming out, there can be two new problems. I mean, there are two new problems for me trying to play the army. Um, so once, first of all, the players that play the army figure it out, then it'll be the challenge for the players that need, are playing against those armies to figure it out as well. Um, so yeah, let's, let's tackle Custodes. Where do you want to start? Uh, so I uh, I pulled a list from uh, the uh, a recent tournament, a major tournament, um, and it's a... Um, I, I emailed it to you. It's a uh, single battalion detachment. Emperor's it's, chosen. Uh, it's an emperor's chosen uh, shield host. Uh, they've got um, a shield captain in Alaris Terminator armor. A shield captain on Don Eagle jet bike. Trajan Valoris, of course. That guy's got to be in every list because he's incredible. Uh, let's see, three squads, three three man squads of custodian guard uh, filling up the troop slots. They've got the shields and sentinel blades. Uh, the elite slots, just one contemptor, uh, Achilles Dreadnought. And then the fast attack is, uh, uh, three or two squads of three, um, Virtus Praetor bikes, one three man squad of Venatari custodians, um, as, uh, Joe used to call them the Venatari birdmen. And then, uh, the, the Telamon heavy dreadnought with the storm cannons. Yeah. Nice. So this is a, um, uh, this is Seth Piper's list as well, so well done to him. Um, so really nice list. Empress Chosen, that's, if we go over that, is their sort of faction rule. What you're going to get is the basic ability to re-roll a hit or wound roll, okay, with every single unit, which is why we see a lot of MSU units here. There's no big blocks. Everything's three-man. Uh, so there's lots of you know individual re-rolls happening, along with Trajan re-rolls for ones to hit and wound, then it gives you the option to re-roll a two or three maybe in the wound roll. Um, the other thing that I get is a four plus filling up in against mortal wounds. Incredibly strong in the meta. Um, and then they also have a very good stratagem, which allows you to pick a unit on your from your army and you can give it another shield host ability. So you could make it shadow keepers, so it re-rolls wounds against characters or makes them a unit minus one attack. It could give it um, fallback in charge as well, which is a very common one. So again, it's got lots of utility This, um, as a whole, this kind of rule. Now, the thing that makes Custodes very strong is the fact that they've got some incredible stratagems. One of them, which is essentially transhuman. You can't wound them on a one, two or three. And then they have another really good stratagem, which is you cannot reroll the hit or wound against them. So again, very powerful combination. Put transhuman on a unit, make it so you can't reroll your hits and wounds against those units as well. Very, very strong. So that's kind of really where a lot of this strength really relies in the book is its defensive capabilities. The other thing to note about Custodes is that they have a, a huge amount of objectives secured on the infantry 
only. Okay, so the, that's the Venera, that's the Venatari, that's obviously the infantry and um, the cap, the characters. So if we look at the shield captain in Terminator armor, let's go over what he's very good at. Um, so he is. He's got impregnable mind. Now that is a warlord trait, which allows him to count as double the amount of models he normally counts as. So custodians normally count as two. So now he counts as four models on an objective. He then has a relic called the Praetorium Plate. Once per game, he can appear three inches away from one of his friendly units and then put himself in engagement range of an enemy model. So it's kind of like a flying heroic intervention triggered off a unit within three. It's very, very good. Um, he's also got two warlord traits. He's got the auric emplor, so every model he kills, he then also um, fights with another attack. So that's very good, making him a little bit more powerful when it comes to swinging an objective. So let's say you've got a unit of uh, custody guard on an objective, and then or a unit of bikes. Let's go with bikes because they don't have obsec. You've got a unit of bikes. Your bikes get charged by maybe a devil fish or something rubbish, and then they've just put a unit of breaches on the objective to swing it. Okay, he can just ping himself over from across the table, put himself into combat with those breaches and pretty much pick up most of that unit and then flip the objective back to the custodian player. So that allows the custodian player to win the primary to get that, you know, that big 12 points or whenever it's necessary. And a good custodian player will be looking to swing that objective to get the hold more at some point in the game. Okay. Now, is that would that um, ability from the Praetorian Plate, would that be affected by an ability like, say, Space Marine uh, Infiltrators have to prevent someone from dropping down within 12? That's a really good question, Dave. And I don't know the answer. Hmm. I honestly don't know. That's a very good question. Um, I'd have to look at the rules. You've sprung this one right on me, Dave. <laughs> I, the, the idea, just because, you know, we're, we're talking about how to, how to counter a lot of these things, and the thought just popped in my mind of, well, you know, obviously nobody really wants, and me especially as a Tau player, wants anything to just suddenly appear within melee or within heroic intervention range of me. I don't like that idea, so how do I stop it? Um, and, you know, I, there is a the, – the Tau do have, a, I think it's a, a relic that can at least allow that similar uh, non-deep strike ability or non-deep strike range safety buffer zone like the Infiltrator's. Maybe. We're going to have to look at the rules. Yeah. Next week on the show, we'll get back to you. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll look that one up and um, we'll, we'll figure that out. So to be continued on that one. Yeah. But I like it. Um, so yeah, he's obviously really pivotal when it comes to winning the primary, which custodians are very good at. So already you're going up against custodians and you probably know they're going to win the primary, especially if they've got this guy. And there's not a huge amount you can do from that. I think the only thing you can do is stay five and a half inches away from the unit that you know you can trigger off because they can only set up. He has to be within three and then also his base is 40 mil. So I think then when you add the inch on it, roughly works out to be providing you're five and a half inches away. Um, you're basically safe from, you know, him coming on over. The other thing you can do is bait it. So look, try and encourage it out early and then it won't be able to do it later on in the game. So that's another really nice option that you can do there. Um, secondly, Obviously, what you can do is just ensure that he will only be able to go into the units that you want him to. And that's the other thing that you can start to play into um, or just not giving him to room, you know, to physically set up on the objective. Um, because that's, again, an issue. That's exactly where he wants to be. He wants to put an object model on the objective. So if you can stop that from happening, then you're going to be in a good place to deny that. 
Obviously, then we've got the shield captain on Dawn Eagle. He's got five plus feel no pain. Um, the Castellan's Mark, which I believe is the redeploy for the army, uh, if I off the top of my head. Um, and again, this guy's a bit of a beat stick. You can keep up with the faster units of the army. So, for example, the other Praetors, um, the Venerati Custodians and the Telamon. That's kind of how I would be using this models to spearhead it forward. Um, interesting to see him not have the fullback in charge, which you can give him, but it probably came down to some points because the fullback in charge on this character is really strong. Or the ability to, when he charges or hero cleans, devines to reroll hits of one or wounds of one. Both are really, really powerful abilities, um, which, again, you'll commonly see on this guy. Um, then we've got Trajan Valorus, an absolute beat stick. Now, the thing to know about Trajan, obviously he's infantry. He counts as two models. He is obsec. He gives real ones to hit and wound to his army, which is with core units. Um, and he gets something, not only is he an absolute monster in combat, but he's got a built-in warlord trait, which gives him a six-inch heroic intervention. So stay seven inches away from him. Or charging with something rubbish like a devil fish or something that you do not want him um you know basically heroically intervening to into the unit that you know you don't want him into so charge him then he can't heroically intervene um so the other thing with him is that he's got his once per game ability moment shackle and he can do a few things he can either reduce the damage of an attack to zero once per game so if you hit him with a dark glance and it goes through, you can just go, nah, don't, don't fancy that damage, thank you. Won't have that. He's also got a 5 plus feel no pain. He can also um, fight twice. Now remember, if he heroically intervenes, he can target whoever he wants because it's only on the charge can he only fight twice against a unit he declared as a charge. Whereas if you declare him... Or if he heroically intervenes into you so he can heroically intervene, fight you, kill you, consolidate into another unit, fight again and kill that unit. So you need to be very careful with your positioning of those. So you need to ensure if you charge him, you tell your opponent, I'm basing you so he can't pile in anywhere. If he does kill you, ensure that your next unit is over four inches away from his current position. That means when he consolidates three, he will not be able to swing on you because he's not in engagement range because he can only consolidate three inches. And this is where you need to declare your intent against your opponent. Hey, you've got Trajan over there. I'm going to charge my Devilfish in or my Wave Serpent. I'm going to base you so you can't pile in. Cool. Yeah, fine. As long as you've obviously rolled enough on the charge. Um, and then with this unit of Banshees, for example, I'm going to keep them four inches away providing that you can physically do it. But declare your intent so then your opponent knows that he can't just pile in and consolidate that little bit extra and all of a sudden he's now in combat with you because you've declared your intent, you've made it super crystal clear, okay? Got it. The Custodian Guards with Shields, these guys are an absolute beat stick. You know, they are very durable, plus one save. Um, and again, this is what, you know, I'm assuming this pick is for because of the Tau. Uh, the Tau with their indirect really struggle because they only get their extra abilities against the closest eligible unit. And when they're forcing to put minus one AP or minus even AP2 into this unit, which have got a one plus save, they're very, very durable. Um, so really, in order to hurt these custodian guards with shields, you need to be at minus, minus three takes them to a two plus, three plus, four plus on their invun. So you need to hit this unit with a minus three weapon for them to be effective. Ideally, Flat three damage, minus three, and that's your sweet spot. But expect them to probably turn off invulnerable. Uh, sorry, turn off your rerolls, 
Um, so realistically, in order to clean that unit off, you need six of these minus three flat flat damage three weapons to go through um, because obviously they're going to save 50% of those. They may even use a reroll. So we're looking for, let's go slightly over average, eight wounds through on this unit and that's without rerolls. Okay, and if they put transhuman on, that means you're going to need uh, 16 hits because obviously 50% of those are not going to wound because of the you can't re you can't wound them on a one two or three. All right. Yeah, and I mean, and that's and and that's just something too to everybody needs to remember is as soon as you walk up the table and you see custodians on the side, the first thing you got to think is the entire army, almost without exception, is going to be at least a two plus with a four plus involved base. Yeah, and they're all. Five toughness, right? Exactly, yeah. Or six, even so, if it's the bikes. Oh, okay. So six on the bikes. And I know the bikes have got like five wounds a pop too. So you are, you have got to, if it not, you know, if you're making your all comers list for a tournament, you can't obviously put all your points into these high damage, high AP weapons because that's not going to help you when you have a horde of hormigons running across the table at you or a horde of, you know, be snagger boys or something. Yeah. But you, you do need to make sure you've got something in your kit bag to deal with these high toughness, low, high wound count models. Yeah. That's actually why I've been a fan of like when I started, um, when I was still playing with my death watch, I was making sure that I had a couple of my sergeants had the Xenophase blade just to ignore invulnerables. That's why I like the, the Nova surge, uh, plasma rifle now for the tau because I can ignore at least it's one shot three wounds AP negative five that I know that I can ignore an invuln so I can at least for sure pop one guy off of the squad or something yeah and the way to play against these units is the custodian player is always going to want to try and keep his praetors his bike safe or her bike safe because they're very damage dealing they're very expensive so what you want to try to do is target those let that opponent then use the stratagems here in that phase. So you want to split fire. You want to say, right, with this unit, I'm going to put this first unit onto your uh, bikes and they'll go, cool, turn off rerolls. Okay, cool. Transhuman. Okay, cool. Right. The rest of the army, shoot everything else. Let them spend the CPs and waste it and put all your shots elsewhere. Okay. Whether it's at, you know, the Guardians, whether it's at the... The, custo the Venerati, because it's the infantry models that are the problem in this list, because really that's where the objective secured is. Once you've got rid of the objective secured, the custodies may table you, but then you can actually start to bring you back into the game for winning on the primary. And also what it allows you to do is deny them on stranglehold, because that's a very common secondary that the custodian player is going to go for, is that hold half the objectives and also hold more at that time. And now with the new mission pack, there's a lot more five objective missions, making Stranglehold much easier for the custodian player. So aside from that, the custodian player doesn't have a huge amount um, of secondary options. You know, they're not particularly great at retrieve knockman data because obviously they're only three man units. So they need to be rolling fours and it's not really reliable. They could do some banners, which again, if you've got infiltrating units, you can just place those units on objectives to make sure that they cannot banner turn one. Um, or if you can pregame move on to there, again, just deny them the ability to score those secondaries. Then that forces the, you know, the, the opponent to go for things like grind it down, which means they need to kill more than you in a battle round, which is a good option for the custodian player. But you just need to pick two turns of the game where you don't let that happen. Reduce their score down to nine. And now if you've taken a knockman day to you're going to sc score 12, 
they're going to score nine. So again, you need to be very careful with that sort of secondary management. Um, and I think, you know, again, if you are thinking about your charges, you're thinking about where you're going to deny your opponent, winning against the Custodes is possible once you sort of bleed out those CPs with, like we mentioned earlier, split firing, baiting out those CPs for those uh, defensive stratagems. And this list starts with nine CPs. You know, I've seen, I saw a couple others that were starting with eight CPs. So they're going to start with a reasonable amount, but, uh, you know, there's, you can run out of CPs. If you're starting with eight or nine, you're going to run out pretty quickly. And with some of those, some of the new missions also, uh, the one that, the, like this list doesn't have any pregame deployment. It doesn't have any infiltrate. So there's the, um, forget which mission it is, but you have to be holding one of the outside, uh, neutral, yeah. one of the, one of the, the, um, neutral zone objectives at the, to get your command point or your command phase CP first turn of the game. They're already not going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously with the custodians, I found a very swingy, so you could roll a series, you know, if, let's say some multi-melters shoot you uh, from sisters of battle. And all of a sudden, you know, you're required to make, let's say four invulnerable saves and you, and you fail three out of four, which is easily done on four ups, you could lose the entire unit of bikes from one shooting phase. So, um, you know, that's where CP reroll might be used in all those different elements. So there's the CPs do bleed out. Obviously, Trajan can get you them back on five pluses, but that's only once per battle round. The Dreadnought is a very good pick against other custodians and also the Crusher, the Crusher Stampede, because it's a huge amount of damage but it does have limited attacks. So what you want to try and do if you're ever struggling is swamp it with lots and lots of models because it's only probably going to kill four of yours. Um, and if you've got an invulnerable save, maybe only three and you want to tar pit it and don't let it sort of get out of combat until you can put something in useful to actually kill it. Aside from that, shoot it. It's got a five up invun and it will go down quite quickly. The Telamon, however, is an absolute monster. Very, very durable. Don't waste your time trying to kill it. Focus on getting rid of the Venerati, the Custodian Guard, and tackle the bikes as in when they become a problem for you. But leave the rest and do not, whatever you do, go for Assassinate because you're not going to get them. So, um, yeah, pick secondaries that require you to, um, you know, that are in your control. Behind enemy lines. The Custodian player does not want to start screening out his or her backfield because obviously they want to push that army forward. They do not have the footprint to zone out on a lot of deployment zones which are like the long wide one or the diagonal one behind enemy lines very easy to score against on the um obviously against the custodians the knackman data pretty much a guaranteed 12 there's no psyker in this list which means psychic interrogation can be really useful um there is a deny from the um shield captain but just make sure you're targeting a character potentially uh that's not close to him and you should be able to reliably get those secondaries off so again Focus on winning the secondary game and you and just try to deny your opponent what you can on the primary and you should do okay against this custodian list. Yeah, and, and don't focus or get disheartened if by turn three it looks like, oh, I'm not going to score at 90 points, I'm not going to score 100 points. Who cares? If you win the game 70 to 69, you you win. Yeah, if you get, to be honest, if you score 70 points against custodians, you've, you've done well. Win or loss, you've done well. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, what I want to, I don't think we, I think we covered custodies pretty well. Let's move on to uh, the Tau. And this is, um, this is Will Taylor's uh, Tau list from uh, the same uh, tournament. Uh, it is a, he's got a uh, patrol. He's got two patrol detachments actually. 
Uh, he's playing the Farsight Enclave's Allied World, which I saw quite a few of these at the tournament I was at last weekend. Um, the um, the Farsight Enclaves, obviously, they don't allow Ethereals, but if you play this Farsight Enclave's Allied World, you can take an Ethereal because of... Rules is written, you can. Written. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I think it's kind of cheesy because sort of you're, you're, you're playing the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law, but... You know, until that gets FAQ'd, it is what it is. I agree. Uh, but so this is uh, in the first patrol detachment. He's got a uh, commander in a crisis battle suit. Um, I won't go into all the different weapons, but he does have the um, uh, the advanced burst cannon, which I like. Uh, I haven't tested it yet, but it looks good on paper. The one that ignores um, if you any wounds from it, you can't ignore. Um, he's got an ethereal with uh, sense of stone, the five up feel no pain uh, aura and the plus one CP uh, litany. He's got a 10 man breacher or a, excuse me, nine man breacher squad. No, that's a, that's a mistake on battle scribe. It still is 10. You can only take them in 10. Oh, okay. So it's a 10 man breacher squad. And then he's got um, the, uh, he's got two crisis battle suit uh, units, both five man squads, both with two uh, shield drones, uh, one of them has um, two cyclic ion blasters each, a burst cannon and a shield generator each. Uh, and then, of course, the the Shah's Ray, the sergeant, has the uh, Iridium Battlesir for a two-up. And he's got the um, the once-per-game uh, four-up field of pain. And then the other squad has got two burst cannons, one cyclic ion blaster and shield generators on everybody. He's got a, um, a pack of crew hounds. He's got a uh, 10-man squad of Pathfinders. He actually took the Ion Rifles. I did the same thing, but I did the the Rail Rifles, which I just love those things, putting out mortal wounds. Uh, and then he's got a three-man um, broadside uh, squad with heavy Rail Rifles and smart missiles. Gave them all Velocity Trackers for that extra plus one to hit against Flyers. Um, a Marker Drone, two Shield Drones, and a Devilfish. And then the other Patrol Detachment, uh, obviously, still Farsight Enclaves allied because we don't um, we're not souping factions and sub factions anymore. Uh, which, by the way, I love that we're not doing that anymore. Um, commander, uh, he's got a commander in Cold Star battle suit with uh, basically three burst cannons and the, uh, the Onager gauntlet. Uh, he's got another ten man breacher squad. He's got a three man stealth uh, squad and another devilfish. Yeah, nice, good list. Yeah, it's a good list. It's it's um, I really I. I was looking at it, trying to figure out why he needed to do it in his two patrol detachments. He's not exceeding. He could have put this all into a battalion. It seems like um, it's probably to take the Cold Star Commander because it won't be far sight enclaves that can take two commanders in a detachment. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. Yep, you got it. I'm assuming anyway. This is why he's the coach, folks, and I am. I'm the battle one. Um, okay, so let's go over obviously Tau, right? Not only yeah. do they have a huge amount of shooting, and it is a huge amount of shooting, but they only fight in one phase of the game. So let's always remember that. But their mobility is very good now. Extremely strong. So obviously the Crisis Commander gives you fallback and shoot. I'm going over generals. Uh, there might be some warlord trait that you might see different in relics, in advanced weapon systems, but let's go over the, the general principles of this. The Crisis Commanders can obviously give you fallback and shoot. Very good. The Ethereal with that 5 plus feel no pain. The Breacher unit here, um, again, put out a huge amount of damage at close, close range, also going into those Devilfish, and when that's going to be duplicated twice. Um, and then the army, for me, I believe, looking at this, is really built around a while we stand, we fight. Yes, I, I, I think so too. 
obviously while we stand we fight is built in with the five plus feel no pain the four plus feel no pain option the four up in van on these massive units of crisis and then obviously the broadside battle suits that are going to be sat in the backfield just absolutely putting out the hurt with those heavy rail rifles and the twin smart missile systems and velocity trackers that's going to be getting that plus one to hit against fly obviously custodian bikes this is their worst nightmare this unit um, and again, there is a lot of fly in the game, you know, especially with Eldar now getting that plus one to hit um, against maybe wave serpents, night spinners, whatever it might be. Plus one to hit is very strong. Um, and then we got some units which are just easy, you know, objective grabbing early doors or maybe engaging all fronts. So we've got the Crute Hounds, that's an easy engage unit. Pathfinders, another easy engage. The Devilfish are easy engages. So I think for this list, it's definitely going to be doing engaging all fronts. You can pretty much guarantee it. There's not a huge amount of obsec in this list, and that is the real weakness here. We'll go over that. That is the weakness. So there's two big weaknesses in this army, and that's what you need to punish the tail player with. Once you've got hold of those, the rest of the army will fall apart. So engaging all fronts, we can probably expect them to take while we stand, we fight. And then finally, that third one. This is interesting because they don't really have a huge amount of third options for their secondaries. They could take a banners. But the not having any Vespid in the list was a, is interesting, which you'll often see for Knackman data. Um, the stealth suits only being a three-man unit without any extra drones in. Again, can't Knackman particularly consistently. Um, and then there's no crew or anything else to do it in any other quarters. So that does start to limit potentially what this army can take. So then they're relying on kill secondaries whether it's bring it down. Um, obviously, if they go while we stand, we fight. That also means they can't take no prisoners. They also can't gr go grind them down because they off they sit in there. So they are required to take, you know, bring it down, basically kill vehicles or, um, you know, assassinate, abhor the witch, whatever it might be. So they are required a little bit more on that side of things, which is what we'll probably expect with more lists in the future is to have those units of Espit, would to have those stealth teams in to get a you know an achievable knackman to give them play on the secondaries because this list has one big weakness and it's only got two units of objective secured in this in this entire list and that is pretty very typical for Tau. Sometimes with a Tau list you'll see a um, Enforcer Commander, which allows you to pick a unit and give it objective secured. That's really strong, especially when it's on a sh um, the Crisis Battle Suits, which are very hard to kill with that four up in vulnerable save, five plus feel no pain. Um, so if you're playing against this style of build, or you're playing against any Tau build, focus on the troops, get rid of the objective secured, and play the mission. That's how you beat Tau, is by playing the mission. So open up those Devilfish, get the Breachers out, get them gone, early doors, and then you'll find the rest of the game just much easier to win on the primary. The next thing yeah, that you want to be doing is trying to locate those characters. Get rid of the character support, get rid of the rerolls, all the extra abilities there. So things like, you know, I'm going to be taking a solitaire in my list. I want to get him in as quickly as I can. Hopefully nuke one of those characters, take him out of the game. And again, so if you've got fast moving combat units, try to get them into those characters as quickly as you possibly can. When I played Tau, uh, I was using the Custodes. I was playing at Beachhead. Um, and what I did with my characters was I just focused on hunting theirs as quickly as I could. Once they're out the way, without that re you know that reliability of those extra benefits that the commanders give and the damage output that they do, because obviously they hit on such a great ballistic skill, 
then actually it leaves the rest of the army to be tagged, wrapped, um, or dirty touched, as we sort of might commonly call it, where what you're trying to do is just use your units and consolidate them into combat. Okay, you probably won't die, but it forces that unit then to have to shoot you and the unit that you've placed in combat. You're telling your opponent, this is the unit that you have to shoot because we're now in combat together. You can fall back, but if you don't have that crisis commander and if they haven't gone for um, Kalion, then they won't be able to fall back and shoot. So they're fo you're forcing their hand is to where they then shoot. Um, but then any any abilities like the custodies have or witches have where, hey, hey, you can't fall back from me. Really strong. Really, really strong abilities to say, look, we're staying in combat. Um, and again, if you can tag some of those characters, like the ethereal, keep him in combat with you, um, or the breaches maybe, or a devil fish, whatever it is, keep it in combat. And then that also then stops the rest of your army from shooting you. Um, there's not a huge amount of... Uh, indirect in this list as well, which is interesting. Um, I prefer, you know, and I and actually credit to um, Will here for this, you know, not just spamming SMS and, you know, um, he's got a little bit from the Devilfish in the broadsides, but it's not an over obnoxious amount. So I actually really like this towel list. It's something that um, I think would be great fun to play and also play against as well. It seems like an interactive list. Um, and I think there's some really nice style picks in the list as well with like the iron rifles from the Pathfinders. Um, so yeah, on the whole, I really like it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, I, I like this list too. Um, I actually, I didn't, I was at the tournament, but I didn't get to play against, uh, this list. Um, but it, it's got, it hits a lot of the high points, but yeah, I, I, the lack of the obsec is certainly something that, um, I, I, and I would have to ask Will how he did, you know, obviously he placed second in the, overall in the tournament, so he did great. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering how he was doing on his primaries if he was just shooting people off of them and calling it a day or not. Yeah. Um, the, the volume of fire that those two crisis squads are going to put out is just obnoxious. Yeah. Um, and the, um, yeah, the lack of, of, of indirect is good. I actually was getting a lot of compliments from on my list because I didn't bring, I had a, I had a little bit of in, a little more indirect than he has because I had one three man crisis squad with the airburst, um, fragmentation launchers but that was it like i wasn't going oppressive on the indirect either but there were people there were certainly a couple lists there that had just leaned into those sms and leaned into the the airburst launchers and it was just um i shauna had to play against somebody who just took picked up half of her army in, in the first turn just with the amount of volume of um of, of indirect so uh, and i'm not quite sure how to deal with that obviously the indirect is not it's all minus one AP, so it's not, or it's 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 actually a AP zero for the for the SMS, yeah. and it's only negative one for the airburst. So you you're not gonna get a lot. I mean, it's not a, if you've got good armor saves, you have that's right there your best mitigator. But it's the ignoring cover that they also can get access to, and then obviously the you know when they're the closest eligible unit within a certain range, then they become an additional AP as well. Um, and I think there are other ways to increase the AP, so they really can start ramping up there so that can become problematic but again this army does not like being in combat it really doesn't um and i think the harlequins are going to be a real nice kind of maybe um threat here for the tail player because i think the the, the harlequins are going to be really struggle to be hit and if they do get in, they can strip out those invulnerable saves very quickly, which might mean we'll start to see less of these two massive bricks 
of crisis because if the Harlequins hit it, they should remove it by you know getting rid of their unrunnable saves, which might mean we'll see a little bit more spread out units rather than these two massive power blocks. But obviously the Tau player at the moment is teching towards you know beating Custodes, Crusher Stampedes, and also the Mirror. So that's why they've got these two massive blocks and relying on that while we stand we fight. But I think the evolution of the environment that they're going to sit in with now Eldar coming through will be a really good challenge. And it's going to be really exciting to see where this happens. Um, but look, I think my last kind of thoughts on towers, just like you've done, Dave, and like, um, you know, is it Will who wrote this list? Um, yeah, Will Taylor. Don't spam MSS, guys. It's just not worth it. Don't spam the indirect. Um, if you want enjoyable games and you want your opponent to enjoy playing you and continually enjoy playing you, then don't take a list that's completely non-interactive, which requires minimal skill to use. You're not going to get as much enjoyment out of it. Your opponent isn't. And also Games Workshop are probably going to come along and say, no, we don't like that. So um, if you've been relying on that as a crutch, then start to look deeper in the codex as to other units that you can find playable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I would say just for, for anybody who isn't familiar with Tau, who hasn't played with Tau, or has only played a little bit against Tau, I think that there, anything that has advance and charge, um, like you said, it, Tau do not want to be in melee. And and aside from those couple limited options, there's not a lot of fallback and there's there's not much fallback and shoot at all in the codex. So if you can you can bad touch one of those big bricks of, of crisis, or you can bad touch any, pretty much anything in the list, yeah. we as Tau players are very unhappy. So um anything of advance in charge white scars I, I i my last game last term weekend was an orc player he called the wall he had he had a bunch of blood axe commando so he, he forward deployed on me called the wall first turn and got right into my lines and gave me gave me a hard game because i had to i really had to 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 use you know the best tactics i could to try to you know recover from that uh, and the other thing is make sure you understand montcon calion if there's anything you want to understand about Tau, Mount Ka, and Kalyan, because there are limitations. Both of those are powerful, but they're also they, they have their limitations. So pay attention to what they do, so that you know what they don't do. Those first three returns, most most people are playing Mont Ka majority. Know that, remember that it's it. They have to shoot at the closest enemy unit to get the buffs from Mont Ka. If they're not doing that, if they're trying to shoot something further away that's a juicier target, they're not getting those buffs. And make sure you're you're aware of that, so they don't yep. flip up and you know. That's it. Hide those units that you know behind some cover. Make them shoot their airburst into them to clear them so uh, you know they waste their efficiency but also myself and Kyle did a um, uh, our Tau coach Kyle we did a masterclass on Tau very recently and on Monday I'm going to be firing out the show notes the PowerPoint presentation that we did and also the lecture video on Monday so if you're on our email list so you need to do to join that is head over to www.vanguardtactics.com join the newsletter I think it's at the bottom of the page you can join the newsletter and on Monday we'll be sending out all the details about that Tau masterclass you can find out more more about how Tau work. And then in the future, myself and Carla are going to be doing more things about how to conquer Tau as well. So Dave, I just want to say a massive thank you for your time today on today's show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. I know uh, we, you and I both got to get back to our, uh, our other uh, tasks and, and day jobs. So uh, I think now we're going to hear from James from Seed Studios. I'll head over with James and do that interview with him. Obviously we need to get our, we need to know how to get battle ready. So um, yeah, we've got to keep doing that. Welcome back, James. Thanks for having me back on. You ready for another question? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah? Okay, I'm putting you on the spot here, but this, this is one that I've always really struggled with. Edge highlighting, mate. Yeah. How do I get that real crispy edge? I want to know the colors I kind of need to use, how many different types of 
edge highlighting, angles of brush. Yeah. I need to know. Uh, well, let, let, let's, let's break it down to start off with. So, um, unfortunately, there is no Amazon uh, or next day delivery when it comes to edge highlighting. It, it is um, application of paint in a skilled and controlled manner. Uh, you have to practice it. Uh, there is no uh, there is no instant gratification when it comes to it. Um, it is a very uh, controlled technique that involves obviously muscle memory, dexterity, and just practice. Being frank, like um, involves two strokes, two types of strokes typically. So obviously, you pull stroke with the tip of the brush for 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 certain areas of the middle. Let's take a, a space marine for example. So a space marine would have um, pull strokes on the inner inner highlight on the shoulder pad, and then you could use the edge of the brush to do some of the other highlights that are on the miniature. Um, so it involves two different types of controlled brush stroke. Um, typically, side of the brush is easier, uh, just because it's a case of getting the angle correct. Also, with the amount of paint on the on the brush, uh, whereas your pull stroke is uh, your pull stroke is is a lot harder because obviously it's about pressure management, dexterity with a with a brush to get that sh- that slight sharp straight consistent line. Obviously, that's a lot harder. Um, a little tip that I give to a lot of people that we teach as a business uh, and to people that we do that we teach obviously in one-on-ones and things like that is to get a sheet of plastic cards, uh, cut it into loads of little squares the size of like a bank card or something and invest 10 minutes a week or 15 minutes a week uh, just practicing during drawing straight little lines. You can practice doing those kind of like the, the, the counting of up to five, like one, two, three, four lines and then line through or something like that. Um, that allows you to practice your muscle memory. It allows you to practice the controller brush for pull strokes typically, which are the harder of the two type of stroke that you need to do to perform edge highlighting correctly and, and execute it sharply. Um, and the rest of it is just unfortunately... Um, practicing on miniatures to be as sharp and as neat as you can and that is something that unfortunately there is no way to get around you just have to do it um there's no instant way of doing it um uh, you know you have to just do it um and you will be frustrated with your first couple of models that you try and get sharp and neat there'll always be one angle or one line that you find harder than the other or whatever but it's perseverance dedication and repetition being the mother of success that will get you the the, the what you want which is um sharp consistent edge highlighting across a miniature um you've got to think of it as a technique like a journey um which sounds obviously very cliche but um don't concentrate on the destination concentrate on the process uh that is what will get you to the destination the process and the practicing of that process is what will give you that consistent sharp edge highlighting uh and that's kind of how i would best approach when it comes to edging yeah, I think you've covered a lot there. Do you use different colors of edge highlighting? So let's say I'm doing my black Templars at the moment. Um, would you use a different sort of color or would you just go for on top of the black? It would be the flat color. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, just as a quick, quick off the cuff uh, colors for painting black armor. So I'd start with like um, Dark Reaper or Incubi Darkness. I'd then get a Thunderhawk Blue. I'd then probably get a Fenrisian and then I'd probably get like a quite saturated blue, blue. I don't want to use the word white because I don't put white paint near black armor at all whatsoever. But um, I, I would pick a, a really, really super bright, almost eggshell blue kind of color uh, as my final tiny little bit like catch light uh, highlight stage or something like that um and obviously there's two different forms of doing it you can do the the heavy metal method which is obviously doing chunkier first stage and second stage highlights and then sharper highlights on the edges of those uh with the brighter saturated colors uh or you can do uh which i i personally prefer and it's the way that i do it um just opinionated not factual um is um it is to 
treat every line as uh, as a volume and therefore obviously let's take a shoulder pad on the space marine the trim for example if light is coming from above then you know that the top top of that edge highlight is going to be brighter than the bottom of it and then you just work the highlight stages up to the bright point so you do the whole thing edged all the way around with the first color your darkest edge highlight then you then start two uh, three quarters towards the bright point and do the next stage then you do two two quarters to the bright point then the final quarter to the bright point and then you have that little catch light at the top where light is catching at the top along along the same line as opposed to doing multiple uh thickness edges towards the edge if that makes sense it just gives you a much more refined sharper edge highlight process on the model um and that that's kind of how i would uh, how i would approach it that's amazing yeah and should it be wettish or more dry when we actually come to apply the paint uh, going, going back to another topic we touched on another week where we were talking about consistency of paint, um, you want it to be slightly tacky so that obviously it sticks to where you draw the brush, whether it's with a pull stroke or whether it's uh, with the, the side of the brush. But you want it to be um, you want it to be viscous so that you can actually manipulate the paint because uh, it needs to come off the brush. If it's too thick, like straight from the pot, you're just going to splodge it on, which is no good. Uh, it'll be too tacky and stick too much to the model. Um, so like a halfway point is the best way for me to describe it. Not very watery, not very thick. But when you draw, you should be able to draw a sharp straight line with the tip of the brush easily without applying far too much pressure, uh, if that makes sense. And when you're first starting off with this um, and you're, you're picking up the basics for the edge highlighting, is it always worth doing it over a color that you know that straight out of the pot? So if you mess yeah, up, correct. you can make yourself much easier. Yeah. I've tried to do it when I've tried to do it over an airbrush. And I've tried to be clever with a xenophil highlight and, you know, I've gone way too fancy for my own good. Yeah. And then I've bodged it. No, and then that's I'm like, fine. Um, like it, it's really hard to then correct yourself, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, you, like if you, if you don't like painting skirting boards, you'll be a master at cutting in after you've done this. So yeah, you need to, doing that to start off with is the best way until you've got that confidence. And going back to that, um, going back to that acronym that I always use, which is false expectations appearing real or fear. Um, if you're using a color that you've mixed that you can't cut in, then it's all about being neat and accurate to not make mistakes. Um, I'm a firm believer uh, in anything that we do when we teach or when we advise students or, or anything I'll tell people. Um, if you put yourself in the most adverse, difficult situation, uh, you're always going to either fight or flight. Um, and most most percentage of the time you will, you will flight and you will just be neat. Um, so training yourself to constantly be neat will improve your skill. Relying on cutting in will not improve your skill. So, um, so yeah, I'd always advise people to just be mindset. I've got to paint the neatest I physically can. I'm not allowed to make a mistake. If I do, it's, it's negative territory. And that's the way that you'll grow them fastest, improve the fastest. Um, obviously you can just use stock colors, um, and, and cut in. It's not a problem. It gives the same result, no issues at all whatsoever. Um, but if you're looking to improve and train yourself, then, then putting yourself in an adverse situation that's difficult for you to achieve is, is the best way to do it. I love it. Same for me on the bench press, mate. I'm like, I don't need a spotter. This is going up <laughs> yeah. or I'm going to get choked out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I love it. Thanks so much, James. We'll see you next week. It's all right. See you next week. Take care. And that's it for this week. Thanks, James. Uh, next week, we're uh, going to sit down and talk about a few of those Tyranid leaks coming out on the Warhammer community page or maybe we'll talk about something else. You'll have to tune in and find out. Until then, this is uh, Dave Colmel for Stephen Box and Vanguard Tactics saying... Sit tight, hold the fort, keep the home fires burning, and if we're not back by dawn, call the president. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.